Today on the Everything is Marketing podcast, we're talking with Justin Singer from Ripple. As I said, my guest today, Justin Singer from Ripple. Justin, how are you, my friend? Doing well. Good weekend. Thank you. <laughs> that is excellent. I love that you had a good weekend. So I, I want to start by kind of going back to the beginning. You and I uh, spoke before we did this interview, kind of the beginnings of Ripple. But could we go back a little bit and maybe tell people what the company is, how it came to be, and then how does it arrive on the shores of Michigan? Sure. So I mean, Ripple got started in the very early days of legalized recreational marijuana or retail marijuana. We uh, started the company in late 2013, and we weren't really sure what we wanted to do with it. We just knew that there was this massive opportunity out there. We all believed in cannabis and cannabinoids and wanted to see how we could bring it to the mass market. We uh, understood that the world wasn't making more smokers of any kind, um, and edibles were something that was super interesting to us early on. And so we came out to Colorado, investigate the space, and we saw that everyone was like trying to shove as much THC as possible into the smallest quantity of sin food possible, whether it was a cookie or a brownie. And around that time, my grandmother asked me for a pop brownie and not because she wanted to get high, but because she just wanted to feel better. You know, she was in her nineties, a diabetic, no interest in being stoned and also no interest in just eating high fat foods every day. Sure. So we started getting very interested in the idea of looking at cannabinoids starting with THC as functional ingredients, just like probiotics, omega-3s, caffeine, um, as things that you are intentionally adding to a food to deliver a specific effect. And that got us on the train of originally microdose. We launched with an organic tea in 2016 in Colorado, two and a half milligrams of THC, we called it yoga in a cup. It was uh, designed just to not get you stoned, but replicate the feeling of taking three deep breaths have that last for three hours and do so in a non-fat, non-sugar formulation that didn't require people to self-identify as drug users. Um, and the part of that product that became the most interesting was the soluble component of it, the water-soluble component. That eventually became its own product, Ripple, and Ripple became the engine of growth for this company and really built us up ever since. We had a, a detour in 2019 after the farm bill, the legalized hemp production, where we wanted to take the IP and all of the processes we developed around these great products and bring them to national markets and help power existing brands to infuse their products with cannabinoids. Um, the FDA has made that a non-starter. Um, so last year, we started uh, reorienting ourselves back around THC. We opened up Mid Ripple in Michigan. Um, we got that launched in March of this year. And I'm proud to say it's been growing fantastically. We're over 150 stores now, um, two and a half months later, and just doing great. We've got our dissolvables, our quick sticks, which are like pixie sticks for adults, and we are gummies out there. And we're just trying to deliver you know, functional foods in the cannabis space. So that to us means consistency. It means absorption. It means repeated, reliably enjoyable experiences and great flavor. So Justin, one of the things that I was... Uh fascinated by with our first conversation is the innovation of this company. So can you talk a little bit about a where that innovation comes from and b your interest in it? Because what people will pick up on when they hear you speak is that you're very passionate, obviously very knowledgeable, but certainly very passionate about what you guys do. And as I'm, I'm fascinated at your interest in the product and where the product is going and where that innovation comes from. 
Yeah, so food science in general, I think we were one of the first people in the industry or first companies in the industry to really look at this and say, this is a food science problem. Like oil and water emulsions, that is food science. And we were fortunate enough to meet very early on uh, in our company's life cycle, a guy who had been a principal food scientist at M&M Mars for 25 years. And he came on board as our first technical hire and to this day is our director of research and development. And he had, at Mars, he'd worked on everything from, you know, Snickers, the candies, the flavors, like all of the traditional stuff, over to the flavanol development, which was a massive investment that Mars made in cocoa flavanols, which was a functional ingredient that they really saw high hopes for in terms of delivering effect and really bridging that gap between, you know, treats or confection and function. And as part of that, he had really thought deeply and worked very hard around things like, how do you actually get bioavailability? How do you deliver not just an effect, but an effect within the flavor profile, within the label that your ingredients that you're trying to deliver. So that's really informed our company ever since is how we frame ourselves. We, we are fascinated by the, how cannabis edibles are at the intersection of food and pharma. You know, you are in a similar way, by the way, like, I don't want to overplay that. Like, so is coffee. Like, sure, sure. Like, Nobody drinks coffee in the morning to wake up in the afternoon. There's a reason why offices the world over give out free coffee because they're giving out free caffeine. It's a nice, mild stimulant. Um, then, so THC, you know, is an augmenter the same way. But like in order for that to work, you have to deliver an effect that is proximate in time and expectation to what people are looking for. You know, I, the same way that you don't drink coffee in the morning to wake up in the afternoon, nobody takes a cannabis edible in the afternoon to feel it at 2 a.m. Sure. Like, and that, that was the case that it used to be. Like we have, I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the Marine Dowd art column from years and years ago about like trying that chocolate bar and not feeling anything and having more and then not feeling anything, having more and then ending up on the moon. Sure. So, like, there, there was real uh, chemistry and that had to be done to take this raw material that acts in a certain way and improve it, augment it, so that it matched with the way the body likes to absorb things, so that it reaches your bloodstream and therefore your brain and your systems as quickly and as efficiently and as reliably as possible. You know, you don't want people to just have a variant experience based on whether they ate a high fat lunch or not. That'll still happen, but like you're trying to minimize that as much as possible and make the product stand on its own so that people can work with it. Now, Justin, I've got a, a couple questions for you in that realm. And the first one, I, I want to go back a couple steps because you said a minute ago that, you know, you come out with this yoga in a cup tea and from that comes Ripple. Can you maybe, obviously, I don't want any secrets of how the company works, but that sort of stuff is interesting to me is that you've got this product and then you go, oh, what if we made this intersection between food and fire? Like, talk to me about you've got this tea and then what happens to build Ripple out of that? Sure. So the tea was, the form factor of the tea was a disposable infuser. Think like a stick pack with a bunch of perforations, a bunch of holes at the bottom half, organic tea dropped inside, plus granules of this dissolvable THC that we had developed that would then go into water. And when we were, the problem there is like, if you got perforations in the infuser, if the granules are too small, it leaks out. So, and granules of powder always want to get smaller. Like the more they're played yes. with, the more they will, they break off. So we had all these fines is the technical term. 
And these were sitting around and they, you know, could in some runs yield be half of our yield from that run. And at two and a half milligrams, like that was okay. You can accept that, especially as an, as an early stage product. Um, but what we discovered very quickly was that dispensaries were not a good place to sell microdose products. The bud tenders didn't understand it. They didn't want to sell it. They only wanted to sell what they understood. Um, so we started developing a new tea that was 10 milligrams just to get bud tenders attention. And as part of that, suddenly the fines that were you know, physically the same amount from a cost perspective, you just couldn't eat that anymore when it was 10 milligrams instead of two and a half milligrams. So we started wondering, what do we do with this waste stream? And we had them sitting around and people were like surreptitiously like taking it home and like making their own little like milkshakes of what of the powder and like dumping it and everything like morning orange juice is now an edible like this. And we were like, okay, that's the product. <laughs> that's that. So that became that waste stream of the other product became the core product of Ripple. Um, and that's, that's really been the, like the Nutra suite of edibles. <laughs> so, you know, fast forward, right. You've got somebody who had worked in food science at m M&M and Mars. Again, no company secrets, right? But you guys, obviously, as you're innovating and pivoting into this space, as this space continues to grow, you know, what sort of questions do you guys start with to see where you want to go next, right? You started with a T, you ended with this product. Now you've got multiple iterations of this product. And obviously, you know, what little I know of you, you seem like a super visionary human being. So I imagine you know seven steps ahead of where you're going to go. What what kind of questions do you guys formulate before you decide, okay, let's try this direction? I mean, once we knew that this, that that consumer application of like a powder that they can make anything edible with was worthwhile. Then you start asking the question of how do you make that work in as many circumstances as possible? How do you make it meet the constraints of as many people as possible in terms of their purchasing needs? And how do you scale that efficiently? And how do you make and with and reliably with consistency? So like, you know, our original formulation used things like polysorbate 80 emulsifiers that were pretty ugly that people didn't want. So, but we had a very manual process. We were hand rolling and hand granulating. It took, you know, seven days to do a batch. Right. So the next question is great. You've got something that works on a bench top. How do you actually scale this up? So I, I think there's a couple of ways to do that. We looked at, you know, the cheap way, which is spray drying. We looked at the expensive way, which is agglomeration. And we put these things together and said, okay, what is the best thing for quality? What are our needs for quality? Like it needs to dissolve in cold water. It needs to have a flavor profile that is as clean as possible. It needs to be produced at a lower temperature. So you're not actually converting these minor cannabinoids into the form, into forms you don't want. You're not decarboxylating things accidentally. Um, it needs to be flowable so that instead of like clumping so that you can actually dose it accurately because the physical size of the dose is going to be a huge contributor. Um, and then you need to scale it. So we started really focusing after we validated the consumer use case on the production methods and really understanding how do you build this production process that delivers that clean label, cold water soluble, fast acting product that's actually that you can scale up and do at a for a good, decent margin so you can keep on doing it. Then we start asking, okay, now we're getting reports from people saying they feel the effects before they're done with the cup. And that's when we, you know, we hadn't started looking at fast acting. We'd started looking at zero sugar, zero fat. And once we heard those reports, we were like, okay, this is fascinating now. So we initiated blood studies 
because like I, self-reporting is nonsense. Like sure. if placebo effect is just too strong. Um, so you have to test actual blood content to know whether a formulation is actually delivering more. In. And that became a unique thing for us because we would do those tests and all of our hypotheses about you know, particle size or emulsifier, like which one is gonna deliver better, faster absorption turned out to be wrong. Like the things that we didn't predict turned out to be right. And you can only see that by direct observation. This is why experiments are a thing, part of the scientific process. Um, and so we would then start rolling those learnings back into new formulations, became iterative about it, trying to pick up learnings in humans and grow that towards. And this is all again, with an eye towards the idea that you, our vision is that 10 years from now, the cannabinoid aisle or the supplement aisle will be the cannabinoid aisle. We say often cannabinoids are what supplements claim to be and what alcohol wishes it were. <laughs> and like, if yep. you're going to be there in these federal illegal markets with federal consumer protections, you got to start acting in that way. And so like folk medicine or folk formulations, not like that's great. You can sell anybody anything once by telling them it's going to cure disease or make them happy or make them giggle or make them fall asleep. How do you actually generate repeat? How do you actually build the basis that, is somebody's going to feel comfortable investing a hundred million dollar brand against you've got to do the research. And like that, that became our mantra. It was like, we are going to actually scientifically validate these things. That's not like to say that that becomes your sales tool next, but like that is how you feel comfortable going out and building sales against that and knowing that it's not all going to come crashing down because of a bad news article that you actually have done what you say. Justin, you know, you kind of laid out what happens in year 10, but maybe give me kind of your 10,000 foot view of what that next decade looks like, right? Because one of the things that we're passionate here about is that destigmatizing de of this industry and making it where it belongs in the lexicon of the American culture, right? It's not an offshoot. It's it's part of the culture now. And so for you guys, what does that decade look like as you're destigmatizing and getting it to be the supplement aisle is now the, the cannabinoid aisle? You know, it's research, it's form factors, it's accessibility. I think it's clear that anywhere marijuana goes, the more exposure people have to it, the less scared they are of it. The more exposure they have to people who have consumed it, the less frightened they are of it. It is one of, it is like the monster under the bed that disappears as soon as you face it. Um, so I think just getting it in slowly and carefully showing, especially in like dose factors that aren't geared towards extreme usage. Like I, I think that is a beauty of edibles that you're talking two and a half milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams, very specific amounts that allow, that have a tight feedback loop so people can control what they're trying to do. This is all ultimately self-experimentation. Like we're not, this isn't like a pharmaceutical where the doctor diagnoses you and he knows this is the right solution for that. This is more like, hey, this is a light augmenter that's available and properly so. But like the worst thing you can do is overdo it before you understand what you're doing. And the, like as a retailer, as a bud tender, the worst thing you can do is recommend too strong of a product to somebody who hasn't used it before. That's that's a recipe for disaster because people then associate that overdoing effect with cannabis versus the benefits of it when you get it under control. So what we're doing in the next couple of years and what our vision of for the next 10 from here to there is control. That, that is really all it comes down to. Like we want people to be in control of their experience with THC, with CBD, with CBG, whatever it might be. 
you know, if you're going to start experimenting and seeing does CBG help with inflammation, the first question is, is there 10 milligrams of CBG in this container that says 10 milligrams? We saw this with the CBD craze. Sure. Where, like, people started having opinions about CBD. And in my opinion, they were having opinions about placebo. Like there wasn't for the most thing, like there generally wasn't CBD in there. It wasn't well absorbed. So like, are you actually forming opinions about CBD or are you forming opinions about poorly done products? And like nothing will kill a market faster than poorly made products and people forming misshapen opinions about it. So we're big believers that to get from here to there, you need good consumer safety regulation. You need good truth and advertising regulation. You need manufacturers to be beholden to the idea of delivering what is on the, what is on the label in the bottle and putting what's on the, in the bottle on the label so that consumers have the tools to take their own guided tours of these things and feel in control and safe while doing so. Justin Singer, thank you so much for the time. If people want to reach out to Ripple, what's the best way to do it? Website, Instagram, Facebook, where should they find you? You know, tryripple.com is the best way. We've got a list of everywhere you can find it in Michigan or Colorado. Uh, tryripple.mi, if you're a Michigander, and this is an MLive podcast, so I assume that it is, uh, is our Instagram handle for all to see what's going on there. But uh, Or reach out to us directly. Hello at tryripple.com. Justin, have a great day. Thank you, you too.